it, it raises a question we should all um, we should all ask, which is why why church? Why the local church? And it's such an important question. We've been we've been we want to answer it for three weeks. Um, and, and last week I said, listen, I have a one sentence answer to that question, and it's a one sentence answer that has so much probably question or it sounds like such a strong, maybe even arrogant statement, it needs three weeks unpacking. Um, and, and if I had to answer that question, why church, why the local church, in one sentence, it is the local church is the hope of the world. And so last week we were in Ephesians 2 and we said the local church is the hope of the world because we have the best story, a story of God's rescue for any person, that there's no one too far gone from his grace. The church is really the one place that believes and teaches that with everything in us. And so this week, I, I want to take another step in, in trying to lay out why I think the, hope, the, the local church is the hope of the world. And, and it's the next 11 verses in Ephesians 2. It's, it's what I think may be the best text on the local church in all of the Bible. And so I, I want us to listen to that text, to hear that text, to let this letter that Paul wrote to this ancient church in this ancient city open our imaginations as to why the local church is, is such an important place in God's plan. So it's Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Here's what that text says. Therefore, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Before we unpack these words, let's, let's pause and ask for God's help and understanding. Got to hear those words that, that your church is the place where you are, are coming to dwell, where you are building your dwelling place. And God, I, I both want that to be true and I also don't want to get in the way of that. And so even now, God, we've, we've opened your word. You're a God who speaks to us. And so we don't want to be in the way of that. We want, we want your voice to be loud and clear. And so I pray for all of us. Now, God, what you have for us, what you would want to speak to us through Ephesians 2 would be clear and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, God, what you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's, there's a lot in this passage, and we don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but let me, let me summarize Ephesians 11 through 22 in, in one sentence. The, the local church is the only place where anybody can become family. So it's one reason why I think the local church is the hope of the world, because it's a place where anybody can be 
your family. And maybe you hear that and think, Tim, you're overselling there. The church is often not that. It's often not a family that's open to anyone. It's often a place that feels like it's closed off to outsiders, a place where only certain people who look a certain way, who do certain things, can actually fit in. And, and, and you're right about that to some extent. It's easy for us as a church to forget why we exist, and it's why we need to spend time answering that question, why the church? Because we, if we don't answer it in the way the Bible answers it, we'll fill in our own answers into that question. And Ephesians 2, it unpacks a central theme of the local church that is so easy for you and I to miss. This idea that we exist because there is to be a place on earth where anybody can be welcome, where anybody can become family. And so if we're actually going to do that, if we're not going to make the mistakes a lot of churches make, we have to hear this text. We have to become the sort of place where anybody can come in. And to unpack these 11 verses, I want, to, I want to just lay out three imperatives for us. That if we are going to be that kind of family where anyone can walk in and be welcome, we have to remember who we were. We have to embrace the pain of family. And we have to love God's design. Remember who we were, embrace the pain of family, and remember or love God's design. So first, Paul begins in verse, verses 11 and 12 with um, the word remember twice as an imperative. And so what does he want us to remember? Before he launches in to this design of the local church, he, he stresses remember. Now look at verse 12. He says, remember you at that time, you were separated from Christ, from God. You were strangers. You didn't know the promises of God. You had no hope, and you were without God. Paul wants us to remember that reality. Why? Memories are powerful things. Um, that, that maybe some of you last week, um, when the Chiefs were down 24 to 3, you, you turned off the television and decided there was a better way to spend your, your Sunday afternoon than to watch that disaster. Um, but, but as I was watching the game, I, I had a memory. I'm from Indianapolis, so I'm a Colts fan. And when I was in college, the Colts were down 21 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with just four minutes left in the game. Monday Night Football, they came back, they won in overtime. It's one of the most amazing comebacks I've ever seen. So when I saw the Chiefs down 21 with like 30 minutes left in, to go in the game, like we got plenty of time. We can win this game by 40 if we really want to. Right? We got, there's, I'm not turning the game off. I'm going to stick with them. And, and sure enough, an amazing um, comeback happens. They win in an amazing fashion. And, and if you have that memory of this is possible, this can happen, then it, it can fill you with hope, sometimes even irrational hope. Um, that something good may happen. And, and, and so Paul, what he's saying to us as a church is for us not to lose the memory that we were once without hope, without God, strangers to his promises. And imagine a community like that who remembered that as a central truth, that we were dead, that we were slaves, that we were aliens to God. And he sent his son to chase us down, to rescue us, to die for us, to bring us into his family. Remember that, Paul says, because if you and I don't, if we don't remember that we were once without hope, then we might look on those who have no hope and think they're too much time or they're too much effort or they're not worth our, our time or our resources. If we don't remember that Jesus embraced us when we were strangers to him, then it might be easy for us to let people walk into our space as a church or for us to be around others and to consider them as strangers, forgetting God made us strangers to him, his own family. And if we don't remember that Jesus came into this world to find us and to die for us, to give us hope, then we might be a people who don't go out and seek out those others to give them hope, to find them and, and say, listen, Jesus has died for you. We might be content with what we already have and not do that work. 
that if we're going to be a community where anybody can become family, we have to be a place that remembers who we were. I must remember how I got into this family. It's not because I fit in. It's not because I was the best candidate. It's because Jesus chased me down and saved me in. And so if we're going to be that kind of place, we have to remember who we were first. But secondly, we, we have to embrace the pain of family. I realize when I say that the local church can be the hope of the world, that can sound like a really naive or idealistic statement. Um, like I'm saying, this will all be easy, that the church is where uh, the church is the kind of place where unicorns live and rainbows spring eternal and we all wear matching t-shirts every Sunday. Like it can kind of sound like that, a little just idealistic and naive. Um, but that's not what I'm saying. Pain in the local church is unavoidable. That my most meaningful relationships in life have pain attached to them. Like if, if, you're, if you have a deep enough friendship, at some point there's going to be pain, right? There's no, there's no good marriage without some kind of pain. There's no parenting without some kind of pain. And so if we as a church are going to be a family, we have to embrace the pain of, of, of what relationships are. But in the church it's even more complicated because at least with my family, it's people that are like me. Right, so my boys, at least at this point in their life, they are sold out as Cubs fans. Um, they enjoy making fun of Kentucky. They, uh, they love talking about ice cream and growing beards. So right now, we're like that. they are Spambergs through and through. Maybe that someday that won't be as true, but it's easy to, to be around people you like. And even, even people you like can cause you pain. And so if, if it's hard to love people you like, what about people you don't like or people who are different from you? Because what Paul is saying in verses 13 through 19 is that the church is not going to be a place of people like you. And if it is a place of people like you, you've missed out on the core tenet of what the gospel is trying to do in this world. There's a ton going on in verses 13 through 19. And I I could spend all all this hour unpacking all of those things. But I I don't have time. I don't want to do that. But I want to explain verses 13 through 19 in two sentences as best I can. Which what Paul is saying in these verses is that that God, through the gospel, is taking two groups of people, two races that did not like each other, that did not trust each other, that each thought they were superior to one another, Jews and Gentiles, two different races of people. God, is through his church, is, is taking those two races and making them one family. The Jews are no longer just Jews. Gentiles are no longer just Jews. They are now within a new Family, which means the church is, should be the kind of place where the last person you would expect, the person who doesn't look anything like you, becomes your brother, becomes your sister. And the church is where anybody should, should become our family. And Paul's not naive here. He's not saying, this, hey, this will all happen. We just got to form a drum circle, hold hands together, and, and speak peaceful melodies to one another. He's not saying that. He actually goes... In verses 13 through 19, he just, there's a lot of pain in those verses. And I want to start with just verse 13, the, 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 the verse that kicks off this whole explanation of how two races can be brought together. Verse 13, Paul begins to lean into the gospel implications for us as a church's family. And here's where he starts. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. Let's just stop there for a second. You who were once far off. But what, do, what do we human beings do when a relational conflict happens? What do we do when others anger us, frustrate us, don't live up to our expectations? Right, a lot of, we give second chances, sure, but, but eventually we separate, right? We say, I'm not talking to that person anymore. They're not more, worth my time. I'm not speaking to that person anymore. But we move away. 
We gather around people who are more like us, people who are easier to be around, people whose opinions we like more. We move further and further and further away. In his novel, um, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis um, gives a, a fictional depiction of hell. And what's so interesting to me about his depiction of hell is it's not, it's not fire, it's not a bunch of weird-looking caves or pitchforks or weird-looking creatures running around, but it's, it's human beings, and the prime kind of element to hell is, is that human beings are continually moving further and further and further away from one another. They get in a disagreement, and they move further away. They get in another disagreement, and they move further and further away. So at one point, there's a couple guys in the novel who want to go see Napoleon. Right? They hear he's somewhere in hell, so they want to go find him. And so they, they have to go on a long journey, and they finally get to his house. He lives far away from anyone. No one has spoken or seen to Napoleon in years. And they get to his house, they look through his window, and this is what they see Napoleon doing. Walking up and down, up and down, all the time. Left, right, left, right, never stopping for a moment. The two chaps watched him for about a year, and he never rested. And muttering to himself all the time, it was Solt's fault, it was Ney's fault, it was Josephine's fault, it was the fault of the Russians, it was the fault of the English. Like that all the time, never stopped for a moment. A little fat man, and he looked kind of tired, but he didn't seem to be able to stop it. Is that the the trajectory of, of your soul? It's always someone else's fault, always moving further away from others, always tired but not able to, to stop? Always seeing relational breakdown happen, but it just means you're more and more alone. Well, let me at least defend Napoleon for a moment, because, listen, we separate from each other as human beings for good reasons, not shallow reasons. Though we don't, we don't always separate for, for, for good reasons. Sometimes they're obviously bad reasons. But for most of us, right, it's, it's because people are really hard to love. They sin against us. They do really terrible, awful things. People are difficult to love. I am difficult to love. And so how can we as a church cure that, be different than that, actually be a place where we're not moving further or further away from one another, but actually where more people are coming in and there are more people becoming a part of our family? Well, let's finish verse 13. Paul's going to tell us how. So now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The reason that Different people can come together. It's not unicorns. It's not motivational messages. It's not coexist bumper stickers. It is blood. According to Paul, it's the blood of Christ. Let me explain that, what what, what I think Paul is getting at. Uh, The Brene Brown, a a well-known author and academic um, researcher, professor, um, went through a season of depression and and where her life unraveled in many ways. And, and she decided as a part of this process to go back to church. And her assumption was that when she went back to church, it would take some of the pain away from her. And it would make her, her life be less painful. But what she found was that actually going to church, there was, more, there was as much pain there that the church didn't take the pain away. She uses this powerful metaphor that the church wasn't an epidural, it was a midwife. <laughs> and so as she's sitting one day with her pastor having a conversation about this, he pushed back on the notion that church shouldn't have any pain in it. He said, all these churches where it's easy and there's no pain and everyone just, it's, it's just easy. He says, there's not enough blood on the floor to explain that. The forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness requires death. To be in a relationship with one another requires constant sources of forgiveness. And what Paul says here is the prime method through which you and I have been forgiven is the, the shed blood of the Son of God. 
And so how does Jesus bring us back into family? How does he take us, we who are divided, always wanting to withdraw from one another? How does he take us and, and bring us back together? Paul says, a cross. Blood being shed. If you read verse, verses 14 through 16, Paul talks about killing the hostility and tearing down the wall that divides us. All not done through, through easy things, but done through a cross, done through suffering, done through blood being shed. The Christianity is a realistic religion. It, when we say we want to be a family, welcome to all people, we don't say that's easy. We don't say that's, that's not going to require a plane. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be any blood on the floor. There should be. Because when there is, it means people who are different, people who would never, never be friends, never get together, never enter into family. Gentiles and Jews, different people become family, but only through pain, only through blood. That's how all families work. And if Jesus saw us as worthy of his blood, right, saw humanity as worthy as his blood to bring us back together, then surely we should look at the people around us and see them as worthy of our own blood. If, if it's worthy of the, the, the blood of the Son of God, it's worthy of our pain, of our blood being spilled for them. That's so I would ask, just in, in your own life, what kind of pain is God calling you to to make the church a place where anyone can come in and be family? This week, community groups start. I would just encourage you to embrace the, the pain of, of community. The gathering weekly, um, which is what we ask of our groups, that's a painful thing to, to actually not schedule things on your calendar every week for that night. Is a, it takes pain. I hope there are people in your group that you wouldn't be friends with, except for the fact you've been forced in this space together. That you'll embrace the pain of that. You won't see people who frustrate you as a hindrance to your spiritual growth, but as the means to your spiritual growth. And I would say, too, on Sunday mornings, embrace the pain of, of meeting someone new. Right? Say hi to someone you don't know. Make a stranger your friend. Ask them their name. Find out what brought them to church. How long they've been here. Are they in a community group? What they do for a living? What they're passionate about? Essentially, I'm just, just let's be an awkward family on Sunday morning. Just walk it. Hey, what's your name? Who are you? Like, let's just do that. Lean, lean into that so that this isn't a place where there are strangers. Also, I'd say embrace the pain of knowing your neighbors and, and your coworkers. That in a world where human beings are constantly dividing and with, retreating and withdrawing from one another, not knowing the people around them, that we Christians, we should have relationships with all kinds of people that are only explained through the lens of the gospel. We should know our neighbors well, our coworkers well. That before we'd ask people to come into our family, to come to church, we're going to where they are to know them, to understand them, to bring the hope of Jesus to them. But fourthly and finally, it's not just about embracing um, uh, the pain of community groups or embracing the pain of, of, of the awkward conversation of knowing new people in this space or knowing your, your neighbors and, and coworkers. But I think in particularly what Ephesians 2 is calling us to as a church is to embrace the pain of seeking those who are different from us. That God sees in this world a place where human beings are always dividing and, and the church is to be a place where that doesn't happen. And so embrace the pain of seeking out those who are different from you. And we have a lot of, of people who are, are living that out in our congregation, um, who are doing this in powerful ways. And so we want to pause and just listen to one of those stories um, this morning before we move forward. So why don't we take a look um, at, uh, at this video. Our daughter came running upstairs and said, 
you have to join this church. This is the church that we get to join. Let me tell you what I learned today. I just remember, like, I just walked through the doors that day to visit. And he just said, what's your name? Let's go to lunch. <laughs> what stuck with Wesley was the fact that he was able to build relationships with men that didn't look like him. And we went to this Italian restaurant, and he just opened up about race and about where we was as a church, what the church was praying for, and praying for more diversity, and saying how our family needs an answer from God coming to that church. And just for the fact that we just had a very comfortable conversation about race just from the start, that was the start of our relationship, which has been tremendous in grace. I have built some really great relationships with some really awesome women. And the cool thing is, it's not just even at the Bookside campus. I have friends that go to the Leeward campus and the Olathe campus and the downtown campus, and they're all different races, Chinese, black, white, Samoans. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're all friends, and we are all working together to encourage one another and just to help each other learn how to operate in these things as daughters of the king. So my relationship went from visiting to these are my brothers that I'll share personal things with. I love them to death. One thing that I really admire in terms of UDS in the church and being that starting place is that Pastor Bill Bowman is not afraid to address it. He stands up there in front of a predominantly white con congregation and fearlessly gives biblical truth. I respect him a lot for that because a lot of churches, whether it's black or white, aren't touching it. And he does it in a way that resonates with people. With the injustices that have happened, I have more women come up to me and just cry and say, Carissa, I am so ignorant to these things. I truly just don't know because I don't have to live in that experience. And I'm sorry for that. And I never feel like you have to apologize to a person of color just because you're white, you know? But I think that it's awesome that it's resonating with people and it's making it's making them ask questions and want the belt to be lifted. So not long ago, me and um, a couple of the brothers in the church, John and Anthony, with another couple, we went to Legacy in Chicago, which is a hip-hop conference, but it's also just a discipleship conference. And just going to that conference and us being able to, to bond together and get to know each other, and just us showing that authentic love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We sat and we prayed, we talked about, about race issues, and from that trip, just coming back from Legacy, that's been a life-changing experience. And that picture is like the it's like the perfect picture to show what unity looks like in the church. Black and white brothers and sisters just hugged up, linked up, and showing everybody that we love each other authentically. Well, I would say let's let that story be um, be a challenge and an encouragement to us. So one of the, I think, unique moments we feel as a church at Christ Community, or at least that I feel, is that we have a number of, of minority leaders at a, a number of our campuses who have, have crossed the boundary to come and meet us as a church where we are um, and to help us and to, to lead us. Um, but we as a church need to begin to think through 
how do, how do we cross that boundary back? And I think we as a campus in particular, we're seated right on a fault line within Shawnee and Lenexa. Drive down Quivira, go east. It's a very different place than if you go west. It's a place of, of both racial and socioeconomic diversity. And I don't have any answers for that, but I just know that if, if Ephesians 2 is right, and this is the heart behind the local church, then the desire is not for us to retreat more and more into people like us, but to cross boundaries. Because that's what Jesus did for us. That if we're going to be the place where anybody can become family, we have to be a place who's built in and, and bought into Jesus' ministry of going after people who are different than him. So if we're going to be that kind of family, we have to, that, there's a lot of pain that's involved in that. We have to remember first who we were, um, strangers, aliens, apart from the promises of God. And thirdly, we have to love God's design. And if at this point I sound too idealistic or I sound too out there, verses 20 and 22, they take another step. I mean, Paul is just all in for the church here. Um, actually, I'll start in verse 19. Here's what Paul says about the church. He says, So then, you, the church, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That Paul, what he's saying in those verses, and it's, it's said a number of places in the New Testament, the local church is the place where God dwells. But the Holy Spirit is bringing us together so that God has a dwelling place. And I don't want to misunderstand Paul here. Paul's not speaking in some general sense that in general sense God's kind of in some ways present among the church global as there's a church, God's... No, he's talking about a local church in a city. In the city of Ephesus. You, little church in Ephesus, you are the dwelling place of God. And I can't overestimate how, how shocking that would have been to their ears that the Ephesus was the city of temples. That in particular there was the, the temple uh, to Artemis in Ephesus, which um, was this beautiful, ornate place. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so if you wanted to experience God, you went to the temple of Artemis at this beautiful place. But Paul is saying, no, that's not where you go. If you want to meet God, if you want to experience God, if you want to be in the dwelling place of God, you go to a local church. Paul says, you Christians with no temple, with no meeting space, you are, you are the dwelling place of God. It was fascinating to me about this, this church in Ephesus is that um, we know from Acts 19, the church in Ephesus met in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus, which was a, a, like a, a place that was public that they rented out to meet um, on Sunday mornings for worship. So just imagine that with me, a church that rents out a public space that doesn't have its own building to meet on Sunday mornings. I know this is far-fetched, but just imagine with me. And Paul says, you who have no building, who have no temple, who have to pay money just to rent a space to meet, you are the temple, the dwelling place of God. And I realize you hear that and, and you think, okay, you're a pastor, of course you'd say this. You're over Really? The local church is the dwelling place of God? I can meet God anywhere. I don't need a church to experience God. And I'm not saying you won't experience God anywhere else. Probably will. I mean, right, God is inhabiting all of his creation. I believe that. But what, what I... At least if you're a Christian, then you, what you're saying or what you have to agree with with Paul is that if you want to primarily meet with God, it's not to be by yourself on a mountain. It's not to seek private religious experiences. It is to gather with the local church where the Spirit is building us up together to be the dwelling place of God. 
God's not primarily encountered on a mountain in nature in private experiences. He's primarily encountered in the local church when we become a place where anybody can become family. Because the church, is that, that's what we're called to be, a place where anyone can walk in and be welcomed because of what Jesus has done through the cross, reconciling us back together. Now, as a pastor in Indiana, we, there was a kid um, named Sam who came to our church. And when I got to there, he was in the sixth grade, and his family life was a bit of a mess. His, his father was, um, was addicted to drugs. His mother um, had, had had this guy move into their house, and so Sam didn't trust him, didn't like him. His, his home had just become a place of, of conflict. And so Sam just distrusted his home. He didn't really have a place to go. And the church became, in many ways, his family. People in that church welcomed him into their lives in, in powerful ways. Their doors were always open to him. There was always a place for dinner if he needed a place to eat. There was always a ride to church. People poured in countless hours, a lot of money to invest in Sam and his future. A lot of long nights, a lot of long conversations. Why? Now, I don't think you can explain that story without, without Ephesians 2, without God. Because the reality is if there is no God, then, then I think we can make good sense of why we human beings are constantly separating from each other, why we don't invest in people who are just going to be drains on our time. The evolutionary theory makes good sense of why I love people like me, why I love my own country, why I would want to move further away from people who are not like me or who I, I don't, um, am not, uh, cannot trust. But it makes no sense, uh, to me, it makes no sense without God of why anyone would sacrifice, would give financially, would give of their time, would embrace pain to welcome others who are different from them in his family. I don't think you can explain that apart from the gospel. The only the story we tell as a church makes sense of that. And yet we forget that, don't we, as churches? There are a lot of churches that are not places where anybody can come in and be family. They've turned inward. They exist for themselves. They're primarily worried about what they get out of a Sunday morning. Well, may we remember Paul says Jesus has not gone through an excruciating amount of pain so that you and I could come in and, and have this place be about us. He's done that so this could be the one place where anybody could come in and have family. That the church is not built on us. It's not built on our desires. It's not built on our wants. It's not built on our vision. It is built on Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He shed his blood to start a family. To unite people who would never have been United to bring people together who would never have come together. And a church not centered on that truth, it's not a church. And so if we, want to, if we want to be a place that houses the presence of God, that can say with credibility, if you want to experience God, come here. We have to be a church, a place where anybody can become our family. So Sam, that kid from Indiana, he just graduated from college a few months back, and he wrote this really sweet post on Thanksgiving, or on uh, Facebook, not on Thanksgiving. I don't know where that came from. Um, it, it was a spirit of Thanksgiving. Maybe that's why. Um, I'm thinking about things. It's close. Um, but, but he wrote this really sweet, thankful post, and he listed out a ton of people for, for that he said, that you guys helped me get through college. And you know, that entire list, almost, was his local church, his family. So Jesus started his church so that we could be that place. So may we be that place together. Let's pray. God, Ephesians 2 is a high calling for us as a church to be the place where you dwell, to be a place where those who are different from us become our family. 
to be a place where we remember that we were broken and you rescued us. And God, so we should be a, a place both full of incredible hope because we are convinced you love us and care for us. And God, yet it also is a place of pain because we want to be a reconciling force in this world. God, we need help for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.